Welcome to Speak It On. This program is designed for the edification and entertainment of the listeners and not designed to be representative of a church, nonprofit organization, or denomination. Opinions expressed are solely those of the host. Hey, hey, it's LA. Thanks for listening, as always. So, today we're going to look at. A teaching that a lot of times you hear, especially in evangelical Protestant circles, as described as once saved, always saved. Uh, the fancy term for it is the doctrine of security of the believer. Now, I do want to tell you up front, I believe in security of the believer. However, uh, I'm not going to say I agree with the way that this is being taught. Uh, because there's different camps, obviously. Uh, and there are groups, evangelical Protestant groups, that believe you can lose your salvation. And then you can be saved and lost and saved and lost and saved and lost. So, in general, the teaching about security of the believer works something like this. And that is, once you become a believer in Jesus, then you don't ever have to worry about it again. Then you're locked, you're loaded, it's done. And the only way that you can lose that salvation is if you forcefully give it up by going apostate. And if that ever happens, if you do it, then it's a one-way trip. There's no way to go back. All right. Now, just to let you know, in, in certain charismatic circles, they don't hold to that. They believe that you can be saved and lost, you know, saved and lost, saved and lost, that kind of thing. Now, here's the here's the deal. There's a passage, uh, not the only passage, but a passage that I'd like to look at. And it's in John chapter 10 that they lean heavily on concerning, and by, the, by that I mean the people who are really, really uh, hardcore pushing that doctrine. Uh, And it's in uh, John 10. We're going to start in verse 22. Now, this describes a time uh, where Jesus is going is in Jerusalem and he's going to the temple. But it starts this way. In 10.22 and on, it goes, At the time of the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem, it was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you don't believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, 
and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And then goes on, uh, goes on from there. But that's that's the crux of it right there. All right. So, so what does that mean? Well, let's let's and and from from my perspective, I'm not going to, uh, or I'm going to try heavily not to issue a dogmatic statement on this. From this for this reason, here's what I want to do instead. Because I've already stated, I believe in security of the believer. All right, um, not always in the way that it's presented. But what I'm going to do is give you some ideas, put some thoughts, your direction. All right. First of all, there has to be a security there. There has to be. Otherwise, you get spiritual paranoia. If you get spiritual paranoia, then you wind up going, oh, wow, you know, well, what about now? I don't feel saved. I don't feel saved. First of all, salvation. Uh, and that security that comes with it doesn't and shouldn't be connected to your emotional state because emotions go in and out, in and out, up and down, side to side, and in spirals all the time. Because God's love, again, is agape. Agape is a love that is self-sacrificial love, which is a stated love. In other words, it goes beyond how God feels. Jesus didn't feel like going to the cross. I mean, really, he was praying to God before it, saying, hey, if this can, anyway, this can be taken, you know, passed from me. You know, he didn't feel like it. It didn't give him warm feelings, uh, that experience. But he did it anyway. So that is an important factor. It's not about how you feel because God's statement is, boom, <laughs> is, is rock solid. Now, however, let me throw this idea at you. If you run into somebody and their main reason for coming to Jesus is fire insurance and keeping themselves out of, you know, well, I, he, they said I would go to hell, you know, which is a good reason, okay? But it's fear. That's that's out of fear. Now, can you get saved out of fear? Well, yeah, I guess you can get saved out of fear. Yeah, true. But, it's, but here's the thing, and this is a question. If your main concern is selfish and self-centered, how does God feel about you being selfish and self-centered? Because that tends to be 
how we look at it. And as evangelical Protestants, we've basically put a idea out there that John MacArthur, I think, uh, and I'm not going to quote him verbatim, <laughs> but the issue is, is he uses a term called cheap grace, and that means basically that we've given people the idea that, oh man, you can just get locked and loaded and then just live, live like crazy. Well, I got a question. If you say, hey, I gave my life to Jesus, all right, and you still lie, cheat, steal, murder, whatever, 24-7, and you live like everybody else, or that person lives like anyone else that's, you know, into crazy jazz, is that salvation the kind of salvation that you really ought to be leaning on heavy. Now, what usually happens is, at least in certain Protestant circles, is they'll say, oh, well, that person never was saved. I don't know. Maybe. Because, again, let me get back to, the, to, to this idea. If the primary intent is selfish... And, and saving saving your skin, saving your neck. And then there, you, there's, there, there's no commit, committed change after the event. What kind of salvation is that? Do you really want to lean on that heart? That's all I'm saying. See, here in this passage, look at, look at John 10.27. All right, because Jesus says something here that I think is super, super, well, I mean, you know, it's important to this passage. He says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Well, here's an idea. Let me throw this at you. So if you say you know Jesus, And you're not doing anything that looks like you're following him. Lie, cheat, steal, rob, adultery. You, know, you can just keep on going. Then do you really know him? Do you really know him? Now that's a question. Again, I'm not making a statement here. I'm making a question. All right. Because I'm thinking that the kind of relationship that Jesus wants, that God wants, is the kind of relationship where you realize that you need Him. And you realize that He loves you. And, he, and it's beyond emotion. Yeah, there's emotion, but it goes beyond that. He loves you not because he feels like it, because he wants to. He chose to regardless of how you of how you feel. And, by the way, regardless of how you acted before he met you. 
He doesn't care what kind of horrible person you might have been. That's irrelevant. It's irrelevant to Jesus. It's irrelevant to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because he wants a relationship with you. And because of that, that's the salvation thing. Because at that point, it, the salvation experience comes out of appreciation and realization. That's the beginning. That's the beginning. Because then all of a sudden you have a back and forth love relationship that, yeah, can got emotion in there. But it is a committed relationship. That's where Jesus says, hey, that's my sheep. That's my person. That's my daughter, son, brother, sister. That's mine. I know them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. says, I know them and they follow me. My, sh my sheep hear my voice. Okay, so how do we hear, hear, hear Jesus' voice? Through the word, through, through church and the, and the preaching and listening to other brothers and sisters. Listening to Jesus' voice through those people. And getting to know him. How do you know him? Through his word, through his study, through praying, through outreach. And how do you follow him? By doing what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? Prayer, Bible study, outreach, all the time. Those are the kind of people, he says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, can someone decide to leave? Maybe. Maybe so. Because if they say, well, nuts to you, I want to do what I want to do. And they do it from now on, you know. But let me also say this. I don't know that God ever gives up on anyone. I don't know that. Once you're dead, you know, that's permanent. Once you're gone, I mean, because, I mean, from this, from this world, once you make the jump to the next, uh, to the next plane, you know, to God's, to God's uh, afterlife situation, yeah, yeah, after that, it's a done deal. But as you're breathing, as long as you're on this side of the dirt here, I don't know that God ever gives up on anyone. No matter how crazy. No matter how horrible. Sometimes we, there are people we meet that we would really like God to give up on. You know, I've, I've actually heard a preacher say, you know, I've prayed for people. I just prayed, God, would you please save them or kill them? One of the two. You know. Now, I like, uh, there's, there's different ways of looking at, at this relationship that God starts through salvation with us. Most of the time, you'll hear what, what they call the forensic uh, analogy. 
and that that that's a fancy term which means it's it's judicial like a court you know god you know declares you right and god and jesus paid the price you know and you had all of these crimes of sin stacked against you we we, we like that uh, protestants love that stuff and and yes that is a true element but it's not the only one the one i really feel like touches the heart of god the deepest is the relationship of family because what it's a covenant he's making a covenant with you and a covenant is serious and you know, it's all through the bible the only way to make a covenant was blood it took blood and something dying to make a covenant serious serious and the covenant if you think about it like a marriage covenant i mean that's a covenant it's agreement very permanent kind of thing it's supposed to be permanent you know but think about it from this situation if two people get married and one of them says, yeah, I love you. Man, you're awesome. And then they just say, you know, hey, you wait here. I'll be back when, I, when I'm back. Then they go. And they don't call. They don't write. They don't talk. They're sleeping around. They're, they're you know, uh, stealing Stabbing, killing, you know, doing all kinds of crazy junk. And they never come back and talk to that person that they, that they married. Is that a marriage? Well, you know, on one hand, people love to say, Oh, well, yes, it is, because they were legally married, and it all, you know, is legally, okay. But see, here's the thing. <laughs> Every covenant has obligations, Otherwise, it means nothing. Why? Because in a, if you think about the marriage covenant, I mean, at least even if you're not married, just think about it from this, this angle. The reason to get married outside of all the you know, legality stuff is the fact that there's supposed to be a behavior change after the marriage. Okay, because it's like, okay, you agree that you're going to have this person, and this person's the only one you're sleeping with. This is the person you're going to take care of. This is the person you're going to love on. This is the person you're going to watch out for. This is the person you're going to, you know, and, and you're going to do it starting now for forevermore, you know, or until, you know, the covenant ends. So, if you... You know, if something like that happens, if you if you have quote unquote the event, and then nothing happens after that, you know they 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 don't have that one person. They don't take care of them. They don't. You know, they're sleeping with all all kinds of other people. They're they're doing all kinds of other stuff. They act like it doesn't exist. Is that a marriage? You know, so when you 
take that concept, take that idea, okay, and again, you know, this is not me making a dogmatic statement, ba-boom, ba-boom, and let's put it on salvation for a second. If you tell God, "Yeah, God, I'm I'm with you. I'm gonna do. You know, I'm I'm gonna do what you say. I'm going," and you never do, <laughs> you know, or you 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 never do. Act like change your behavior. Is that salvation? And once again, you got the legal people that are over there. Yes, well, yes, yes, that, that is because it's legal and blah blah blah. Well, basically, here's 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 an here's an idea. If you got somebody who's all focused on the legality on the end of the thing, then what that person's wanting is a license to run crazy. That's what they're wanting. They won't tell you that, but that's what they're wanting. They're wanting a license to sign off on the biblical text that says, God says I can do anything I want. And that's not it. And anyone with that kind of attitude needs to think seriously about what kind of relationship they got with God. Because a relationship with God has behavior change. And it has behavior requirements. Otherwise, no one knows you belong to God. Just like if you never act like you're married, nobody knows you're married. So it's important. And it comes from the fact that, and, and again, this whole attitude comes from the, this idea. Are, who are you focused on? In your spiritual life, are you focused on God or are you focused on yourself? Because if you're selfish and you're focused on yourself all the time, that's not so hot. <laughs> that's a dangerous place to be. Because there's also uh, an interesting thing that actually was originally kind of emphasized to me by Keith Green, the, the singer, during, I was listening to one of his tapes, uh, and it was, it was one where he was doing a live performance, Keith Green, uh, the uh, Christian singer in the 80s, okay, and he said he found it interesting that when Jesus describes the separating the sheep and the goats, When, when, when he describes, uh, you know, there's one group and, you know, he says, enter into the joy of your Lord because, you know, when I was, when I was sick, you came and, and helped me. If I was in prison, you, vi you visited me. When I was naked, you gave me clothes. And then the other group didn't do that stuff. Keith, Brother Keith said this, you know, it's fascinating that Jesus talks about what they did not what they knew. We we, we all, all we, we say a lot sometimes about, hey, do you know Jesus? Well, yeah, Satan knows Jesus. <laughs> but what does it mean? 
you know. So, I'm not saying that to, to, uh, to you know, completely rattle the cage. But in a way, I think we, have, we being uh, ministers, of which I'm one, Protestant evangelical ministers, have cheapened the gospel Kind of like MacArthur says, but not exactly like that. That that term, though, I like. Cheap grace. So we've given people a, a wrong idea, and that is that, wow, you can just run like the devil after you get saved. Well, if you think you can do that afterwards, what kind of salvation is that? I mean, for real. So anyway, that being the case, I'm, I want to encourage you, draw closer, draw closer to God through His Word, through fellowship, through church, through preaching, and keep your soul fed that way. And keep on keeping on. Thank you for listening to this edition of Speak It On. And as always, don't be afraid to speak the word in boldness and truth. And may God bless all of your efforts.